In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thanks so much for joining us, and happy Friday, everybody. What up? Happy Friday. Uh, let's meet the crew. I'm Brett Molina. Uh, I play video games. And what's getting me through this week is I've gotten somehow sucked into a lot of 90s teen coming-of-age movies. Um, mostly Clueless, which just popped back onto Netflix recently, so I rewatched that. And then, for some random reason, I watched American Pie because I haven't seen it in a while, and that was... Nostalgic, I guess. But, um, yeah, just fun kind of watching that stuff again. I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies. And what's getting me through this week is actually a video game, which which Brett will probably um, respect. Uh, but it's Until Dawn, which is some old PlayStation 4 game that I bought, like, forever ago. Uh, it was cheap. It was, like, 9 bucks or something. And I decided to play it. It was, it was It's really kind of interesting. Because I don't really like the a lot of the video games, that, like, where you shoot zombies, like, for hours on end i like the interactive you know movie type stuff and it's until dawn is pretty much like a survival horror where you have to spend like one night on a mountain it's like all these teenagers on a mountain and you get to play as each one and they're like being haunted by windigos and there's you know it's so easy just to like to kill yourself and you know or to kill somebody else and it's 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 really interesting because there's a whole butterfly effect system where what you do at different times affects what happens in other times. And, and like, it's, it's got a weird cast because, like, Brett Dalton from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is on it, Hayden Panettiere, Oscar winner Rami Malek is, is nuts. And it's, like, this weird, weird guy who, like, you know, he dies too. Spoiler alert. Um, but, but that's the thing. It's, like, they can all die or, like, nobody can die. It's, it, it depends on how you play the game. It's, it's depends on how, how many people will survive. So it's, it's really kind of interesting. I'm proud of you, Brian. Thank you. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, I'm Kelly Lawler. I watch television, and what's getting me through this week, wait for it, Brian, is finally watching Supernatural. <gasps> well, that took you how long? 15, what was it, 15, 15 years? 15 years. Okay, well, so here's, here's the deal. Kelly Lawler, everyone. <laughs> no, I've Never seen, seen okay. Supernatural. <laughs> so Neither it started... <laughs> It's okay. I'm aging. Critic, I'm aging myself, but it started when I was in high school, and um, I didn't watch it then. And I watched bits and pieces of it because my older sister watched it, and so like when she was home. But then by the time I like got interested in TV as a career and everything, the there was so many. There were so many seasons. It was so intimidating to ever like sit down and start it. But now I have nothing but time. And I've blown through a bunch of other shows recently, and I'm like, you know what I need? I need 15 seasons. I need to have a sustained one single show. And I'm putting this on the record because it's so funny. Our producer, Natalie's uh, wiener dog puppy, is sitting on her shoulders, and it's very distracting and cute. That is also getting me through this week. 
<laughs> so anyway, how far have you gotten? I'm in the middle of season four, so. Uh, so you're in the you're in the you're in the good stretch at this point. Yeah, it's like it's like so angsty and like kind of sad, but like still still very fun at some points, and like so it's 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 meeting me at an emotional middle right now. De- Dean's having so many feelings. Yeah, it's fine for it's it's fine for like a couple seasons, and all of a sudden it's just like okay, now we're serious, and then like it's gets great, and then just kind of goes from there. If this is your first time listening, welcome. New episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. While you're on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could write a quick review about the show. By doing that, you'll help other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. And as a special bonus, we give you a special shout-out on the next episode. So try it out. Tell us what you want from the show moving forward. It's all upside for you. Um, Don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at MothershipPod. Or you can send an email to mothershippod at usatoday.com. Let's get to the main topic. There is obviously a lot going on in the news and in our country the past few weeks, as protests against police brutality and systemic racism have occurred in all 50 states after the death of George Floyd. The conversation is extended to depictions of police and race in pop culture, particularly the way the movies and TV shows often frame cops as heroes. Kelly wrote about whether we should cancel cop TV shows late last week. We cover nerdy pop culture on the mothership and in action films and superhero stories. Cops are frequently a part of that narrative. We wanted to discuss that, and to do so, we are welcoming NPR TV critic and MSNBC NBC media analyst Eric Deggins onto the pod. Eric has written a book on race and TV called Race Bader, How Media Wield Dangerous Words to Divide a Nation, and has been very thoughtful in recent weeks on the subject. Thanks for coming on the show. So let's start with this question, which used to be a simple one to answer, but in light of everything going on right now, maybe not so much. How are you doing? How am I doing? Yes. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm doing all right. Um, I, I sort of, I posted about this um, online just a, uh, a little while ago where, I mean, you know, all the debate about systemic racism and all that stuff. I mean, that's a Tuesday for black folks. So, so that's not what is, is bothering me necessarily. It's, um, you know, I, I wrote a, I wrote a story in 2005 talking about how damaging cops was. And I've been speaking out against that show for 15 years. I have been speaking out against the bachelor and the bachelorette and all the stereotypical nonsense on that show for a long time. And, um, so I'm glad to see that more people are sort of waking up to how damaging some of this material is and how it is linked to the way in which systemic racism and prejudice oppresses non-white people in America, which, by the way, I wrote a book about and that came out in 2012. But it's also a little frustrating and a little, um, and, it, and it makes me angry to realize that people are acting like this is a new thing. People are acting like it's finally been quote unquote proven, you know, people have been talking about this stuff for decades and, and it is time for every element of the media to kind of get off its hind parts and do things about this. I was watching Conan O'Brien talk to W. Kamal Bell and, uh, you know, he had that earnest white guy TV talk show face on that, uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon does too. And Jimmy Kimmel does as well. Uh, when they want to talk about race with a black person. And, you know, he asked W. Kamal Bell, you know, what can I do? 
And I'm like, you're an employer. You have hosted a national talk show for 25 years. <laughs> what can you do? You know, who's on your show? Who are you hiring? Who are your writers? Do you, do you feature your writers of color and your women, uh, your female writers, in bits on the show? You know, what can you do? Come on, dude. <laughs> so, so, so there's a part of me that's like really frustrated about the level of conversation that we're having now because some of the people who are a big part of it know damn well what they can do and they just need to start doing it and, and, and stop asking obvious questions. How's that? <laughs> that's excellent. Absolutely. Um, well, you, you brought up cops, which actually was canceled. Um, after 32 years this week in response to everything. Did it surprise you that they actually canceled it and that sort of mainstream people in the TV industry and critics are talking about canceling cop shows or at least changing them? Uh, well, we'll see. Live PD is another cops-type yeah. show um, that is much more successful than cops was when it was dropped. I've been seeing stories that indicate that it's the most it was the most DVR show in 2018 and 2019 on cable. And the host uh Dan Abrams just just posted a a message saying that the show was going to come back. He's confident the show's going to come back. So we'll still have another show like Cops out there that's much more successful uh and much more important to uh the core mission of the the network that's airing it. Um Cops uh, I think was a relatively easy call for Paramount. Paramount is trying to uh, the Paramount Network, that cable channel, is trying to turn away from from unscripted programming anyway, uh, and it it inherited the show uh, when it changed its name uh, from Spike TV to the Paramount Network. Um, I also think they're very subtly trying to be um, the home for high quality TV shows uh, that are aimed at um, sort of the um, I don't even know how I would describe it. I guess I would say um, sort of white, working class, um, traditional uh, TV viewers. So they Kevin have shows, Costner fans. Kevin Costner fans. They have Yellowstone with Kevin Costner, and they're going to have a show called Coyote um, that is about, um, you know, um, problems on the border uh, with people sneaking into the country, but it's from the perspective of... Uh, a white, uh, um, you know, um, immigration officer who is forced to work for their cartels. So, <laughs> uh, so that, you know, that gives you a sense of the the, the kind of programming that they're going to feature on the Paramount Network. Uh, and and I think they didn't need a show like Cops um, that they had inherited anyway. That was in a format that they're not focused on. That would draw attention to um, the, the kinds of shows that they're going to present in a fictional way. You know, why have a show that's already been criticized for being exploitive and unfair to people of color when you're going to be um, sort of trying to build this new narrative with these new shows? So are you surprised that the conversation, you know, about policing and race now has led to critics and even fans talking about canceling you know cop shows not just cops but you know just there's a lot of cop shows on tv it's like you know it's been a thing for years you know cbs is pretty much almost all cop shows or it has been um or has this been kind of like has this been a conversation we've needed to have for a while about this kind of programming 
Yeah, I mean, you know, um, the problem when you go to people who have enjoyed a type of programming for a long time and you try to point out how it's problematic in terms of, um, you know, the stereotypes that it fosters is that, you know, no one wants to believe that they're a bigot. No one wants to believe that they're uh, walking around being unfair to everyone else according to, um, you know, their gender or their race. And so people don't want to believe that these shows that they've watched for so long uh, could be unfair in, in that way. And, and, and it takes something huge like um, the, the way George Floyd's death has sort of awakened a lot of people to the impact of systemic racism and policing to sort of look around you know, people keep kept asking me, well, what can I do? And I kept saying, look around your world, look around what you do, find one thing that may support white supremacy, or may uh, pass along these ideas. And then try to tackle that one thing. If it's that one relative um, who's always quoting Fox News, if it's the uh, one manager or boss in your workplace, who seems to have a problem with um, employees of color or women, if it is that one TV show that you watch um, that gives you a weird feeling because you know uh, some of the ideas that it's passing along. You know, just try to take, tackle that one thing. And, and, and I think people are actually taking that to heart and they're looking around and they're saying, wow, you know, I watched this TV show and I accepted it for a long time, but maybe it's time for me to rethink that. And, and, and I think that's a very good uh, idea, and it's something that people should definitely do. But, but it's a shock, because once you become aware of how prejudice and stereotypes are passed along in TV shows, when you look around, you will see it everywhere. And it is, it is, it, that's a shock for some people, and it's tough for some people to realize that they have been enjoying these media products that have been slowly um, uh, passing along ideas to them uh, about um, who can be trusted and who can't be trusted, about how the criminal justice system works, uh, about whether um, poverty and addiction um, is something to be considered when you're, when you're thinking about the, the choices people make in their lives, um, or, or whether it's something that's about their moral failings. You know, there's a lot of weird ideas that get passed along by cop shows and they get passed along by, um, you know, superhero shows and, and all, these, all this fictional content that we consume. And once you start to interrogate it, um, you, you really start to see how pervasive it is. And it can be daunting. It, it can be dispiriting. And I understand why some people may resist uh, sort of doing that. Mm-hmm. So you talked about this and... and- the cancellation of cops has, has brought up a broader discussion about the police and how they're portrayed in Hollywood. What do you think movies and TV shows and other forms of entertainment need to do differently in terms of how they portray the police? Well, um, a, a big problem that I have with cop shows is the narrative that, um, you know, one person can come along who is uh, righteous and they can change everything. Um, There was a TV show on uh, Fox, a new TV show on Fox called Deputy, that was basically about that. Stephen Dorff played uh, a guy who was this sort of renegade cop um, who would cut through all the nonsense with his no-nonsense attitude. And, you know, he wound up being 
he, wa- he wound up being appointed um, sheriff of L.A. County. And he began to just sort of break down all the problems with policing with his no-nonsense attitude and, you know, cut through all the bureaucracy and, you know, all of that. And, um, and, and CBS had a show called uh, Tommy that starred Edie Falco as, um, uh, as a, a, a gay woman who was coming from um, uh, New York to become uh, Los Angeles's uh, first uh, police chief who was female and gay. And, um, and again, that idea that she could, um, she, she, she could make a difference if only she didn't have to deal with these superiors who were sexist or racist or homophobic. And um, I think shows like Homicide, Life in the Street, and The Wire get um, at the truth of where we are at right now, which is that there is this system that has been created that uh, makes it easier for bad cops uh, to get away with the things that they do and, and, and makes it harder for cops who want to be good and want to sort of break down some of the systemic prejudice and stereotyping. It makes it harder for them to be effective. And any one person who comes along who wants to try and change it, um, you know, that's not how it works. It, it, it's a system that has to be addressed as a system. It's not just that there's one bad apple who's running everything or there's one guy in charge who, you know, pays too much attention to bureaucracy or politics and lets himself get distracted or one person who, um, you know, is racist or sexist and is messing everything up for everybody else. That's not how it works. And cop shows, uh, many cop shows sort of in their marrow, in their bone marrow, are formatted around this idea that it just takes, um, you know, a few good people to come along to change everything. And that is not how it works. That's what bothers me the most about most cop shows. And they can't be honest about the systemic nature of what's happening. So they're constantly telling stories that don't feel authentic because it's always about whether well, there's this one person or, you know, we just have to overcome this one situation or, you know, the, the public doesn't understand us and that's what the problem is. You know, no, no, there is a system that needs to be dismantled. And until these shows can be honest about how it operates, they're always going to feel inauthentic to people who are on the, uh, the business end of that, uh, of that uh, punitive system. You mentioned Homicide and The Wire as two shows that had a better portrayal. Those are both off the air, um, although streaming. Although Homicide's not streaming anywhere, actually, I don't think, which is... I have it on DVD, though. <laughs> we need more stuff on TV shows on DVD. Don't discount them. It's still worth it. But is there anything on the air right now or anything that recently aired that you think is doing a good job? I myself had thought about Watchmen as something that dealt with these issues and at least looked at them in a much different way. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I was just talking to somebody about this like an hour ago. Watchmen managed this like amazing thing, which was it took a white-centered superhero narrative and placed black people at the center of it in a way that was compelling and interesting and sophisticated and authentic and, 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 and just uh, amazingly well done. And I don't think people talk about that show enough in that way. Um, you know, we, we have come to expect certain things from our superhero stories, and 
Watchmen was a very different animal. And so I, I just think a lot of people just kind of slept on it or didn't pay attention to it or thought it's a superhero show. I shouldn't watch it or I'm not going to like it. Um, and uh, it, it was just amazing what they pulled off. I, and I think there's a, there's a lot of good shows that are trying to interrogate this stuff better. A lot of them um, featuring people of color in, uh, you know, major roles in creating them. Um you know, people didn't talk much about the third season of True Detective, but I thought it was really a great move. Like, uh, you know, the whole story behind that, Mahershala Ali um, winds up playing a, an officer, a policeman in three different stages of his life when he's sort of a young and up-and-coming detective, when he's, um, you know, been damaged by his connection to this case, and then when he's, um, you know, old and, and suffering and about, you know, in the early stages of dementia, but still hoping to solve this one case that he never solved. And the way the story goes is that Mahershala was uh, approached to play the part that was played by Stephen Dorff, the sort of uh, partner to the main character. These were two de- detectives. Um, and uh, I heard him say this during a podcast that he went to HBO and he went to the um, showrunner of the show and said, look, I want to play the main guy. Uh, I, I don't want to play the sidekick. And so um, when they made the main person black um, in Arkansas in the 1980s, um, that's the time period, you know, when he was um, a young and up-and-coming cop was the 1980s, um, there's, a, there's a reality to being a black man and to being a black police officer at that time that they had to change the story to accommodate. And, um, and to their credit, I think they did. It made the story much more interesting and layered and complex because they had this extra level of this is a black man trying to do this. This is a black man trying to figure out why these white kids got killed. This is a black man operating in a mostly white environment that's rural and that, uh, you know, might not appreciate him doing what he's doing. There's a whole other layer to it. And it, but it added so much more to the story. So um, I would love to see more more of that. You know, if you're going to create a cop show and you're going to make one of the characters a person of color, recognize that that does something to how those characters are going to move through the world. You can't just ignore it. You can't just pretend that that wasn't important. And and I think a lot of TV shows sort of struggled how to at how to get at something like that without making it without letting the story kind of take over the whole narrative. And I think uh, True Detective did a good job of, you know, really talking about it. But, but not making it like the whole focus of the show. You mentioned that, you know, these systems do need to be dismantled. And we'll see what happens in, you know, in real life in terms of Congress and everything else. We'll see how that plays out. But for TV shows and Hollywood and, you know, Hollywood now has a chance to make a difference and to put more stuff out rather than kind of like just another law and order kind of show. What do you think the chances are of like, them actually buckling down and using TV as a as a way to investigate some of this stuff, or do you think you know it's it's going to be so easy for them to just kind of go back to the status quo? Um, I think it's in the middle there. I always encourage people to think about the history of how this stuff works. So, like um, the reason why I Spy, for example, was created was because uh, the TV producer Sheldon Leonard wanted to create a TV show where a black man would be the co-star alongside a, a white man. 
Um, he knew that trying to create a TV drama starring a black man would be a non-starter. He knew that couldn't happen. But he thought maybe he could create a show where uh, a black man would be right next to a white man um, as a co-star and that that would make a statement about racial equality in the mid-1960s. So um, in the same way that there were producers back in the mid-1960s that wanted to do more ambitious uh, programming that addressed s these issues, uh, they wanted to do it, and the industry was holding them back, and what, what viewers would accept was holding them back. There, there are a lot of people in the TV in industry now who want to tell these kinds of stories, and they're, and they're pushing, and every time they get uh, an opportunity... You know, they kind of they push forward a little bit more and, and they find ways uh, to get their shows made. And then there are, are, are people who just, you know, they just want to make money and they don't want to rock the boat. And, um, you know, they're very powerful people who control very powerful franchises. Um, one of the things that uh, I always talk about is how Law & Order, that show, started as a show that was much more realistic about how the criminal justice system works in America. Um, they often had storylines where people who were wealthy, uh, even if they were guilty, were not convicted of crimes because they had the money to hire the best legal representation. And um, they had more of a benefit of the doubt from the jury and the judge and the whole criminal justice system. So, um, but, but at some point, Dick Wolf realized that telling those kinds of stories that, um, you know, depressed people and told people that their criminal justice system didn't work. Uh, that those kinds of shows would not be as successful as shows that ultimately told people that the criminal justice system usually works and that people who are guilty usually go to jail. And so Law and Order changed and it became much more um, a haven for, for those kinds of stories. And then CBS took that formula and refined it even further. So, um, so I think there are people out there who want to push the envelope. And I think this moment gives them the ability to move forward and to affect change. Um, you know, we saw um, on the CW TV show, The Flash, we saw that there was an actor there um, who had uh, posted some racist and misogynist t tweets in his past. And when they came to light, um, he got fired from the show. And I'm convinced that one reason he got fired from the show is the showrunner is black. And he was not putting up with that. And so when you have people of color who are in positions of power, they're showrunners, they're show creators, they're high-powered executives. We have much more of that happening now than we did even 10 years ago. And so those people are also pushing uh, to, to, for, for shows that interrogate this better and that break down some of the systemic prejudice and racism that's, that exists in the industry. Um, so, so there's always going to be this kind of push-pull between um, people realizing that catering to those prejudices can make money and, and people who want to break down those prejudices to do something artistic and unique and, and, and better for the industry. So this is a little bit off topic, but what do you think about HBO Max pulling Gone with the Wind so they can add a disclaimer? Yeah, I was going to say, at first I was, I, was, uh, I was worried because I had just heard that they were pulling it. But they have since said that what they want to do is figure out how to represent it in their library in a way that there is is some material that puts the movie in context and and explains to people hey we understand that this is a racist movie and we understand that there are um there, there, there's a lot of racism and stereotypes in the story that it tells but it's a it's a classic movie 
um, you know, the, the first black woman to win an Academy Award, um, you know, was in it. So, you know, we, we can't disappear it, but we want to present it to you with context. And I think that's a great idea. I was really worried when I, when I thought they were just pulling it to, and, and weren't going to bring it back. But I think it's important with these older things to put it in context. And, you know, when, when Disney Plus debuted, they had a bunch of uh, cartoons that had disturbing uh, racial imagery in them. And they also had some uh, animated films like Dumbo that had uh, some disturbing racial imagery in them. And they came up with some sort of boilerplate uh, disclaimer that they put on the films and, and the TV shows um, th- that said, you know, we recognize that this stuff is problematic, um, but here it is. And, and you know, Disney wouldn't talk about how they decided which films should get these disclaimers. They didn't talk about how they came up with the idea to have the disclaimer or why it's just a disclaimer and why they don't deliver more information on which images inside these cartoons uh, are problematic or why they're problematic. And to me, that's that's, um, one step up from the worst way to do it. You know, the worst way to do it is to just pull the stuff and not say anything. The The next worst way to do it is to put, um, you know, boilerplate disclaimers on things and then refuse to discuss it. Um, you know, if this moment should teach us anything, it's that we have to talk about this stuff. The best way to deal with it is to put it on the table and interrogate it. And then if companies are going to be making decisions about uh, how they present their content to consumers, they should be willing to talk about it in public. And not just do something and then, you know, sort of hide behind anonymity and and no comment. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was great talking to you. And um, thanks again for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Don't forget, on Twitter, you can find us at Mothership Pod, but you can also tweet at us directly. I'm at BrettMolina23. I'm at Brian Truitt. And I'm at KLALS, K-L-A-W-L-S. And you can find Eric at Deggins, D-E-G-G-A-N-S. Uh, don't forget, you can also email us. We're at mothershippod at usatoday.com. Uh, that'll do it this week. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, special thanks to our pilots slash producers of The Mothership, Shannon Green and Natalie Boyd. If you like the podcast, don't want to miss an episode, you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, please leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the show, and we really appreciate the feedback. Um, if Apple Podcasts isn't your thing, you can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere else you listen to podcasts until next week nerds out stay inside